and welcome to mini episode 57 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we have a promo for you. This week's promo is for Marley's Ghosts. And Marley's Ghosts is a storytelling podcast that is dedicated to classic horror stories from the Victorian era. This podcast is perfect for spooky bedtime listens, so if you love stories like Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, then be sure to check it out. So I'm going to play a promo for you now. Please make sure to go and listen and subscribe. Good evening, my darlings, and welcome to Marley's Ghosts with me. Your ghost is Deborah Marley. Are you ready for a dreadtime story? Do you like stories about ghosts and ghouls? Lost souls, possessed cats, vampires and witches? Then get yourselves all tucked in and listen to the tales from the golden age of horror. So until next time, my darlings... Sleep well. So that was Marley's Ghosts. And just before we start our six listener stories today, I just want to let everybody know that our last story today comes from the 8th of May 2020. Are you ready for some listener stories? Nope. And story number one comes from Katie. I only remember a few instances in my life where things happened that I couldn't explain. And weirdly, they have all happened in different places. I once woke up to the feeling of my covers being pulled off me. Another to my lights turning on by themselves. Other times, my brother and I have heard our names being whispered from behind us but only one has really stuck with me. My story is from a group trip I took in college to Greece. It was a two-week trip to a few cities and historical sites around the country and it was amazing. I might have been one of the only people in the group not getting bored of seeing piles of old rocks. The whole trip was going fine. Until we stayed for a night at a hotel in Athens. I had gotten paired with my two friends to share a room with, so I was excited to hang out with them. We got to our room late and stayed up a while talking. We ended up getting ready for bed at around 11 and we all did our normal bedtime routines. Mine? Pee and go to sleep. My friend Mary would shower, pick out clothes, wash her face, brush her hair and a few other things before she was finally ready to go to bed. I remember because as we talked, she walked around the room doing things. I distinctly remember her sitting and brushing her hair at the end of her bed while we talked before we hit the lights and turned in. I remember being asleep for a little while, though I'm not sure how long, before I woke up for some reason. I looked up into the dark room for no reason in particular, when I saw my friend sitting at the end of her bed with her back to me, brushing her hair. Why would she be doing that in the middle of the night, I thought. Mary? I said, wanting to make sure that she was okay. 
But the more I looked, the more I noticed that things didn't make sense. Her hair was long and straight, all the way down to the bed, but Mary's was just above her shoulders. She was wearing a long, white nightgown with ruffled sleeves. And she was brushing her hair with an ornate silver hairbrush, with brown bristles of some kind. It looked like something you would see in a museum. Still trying to believe that I was seeing Mary, I said, Mary, what are you doing? Just after I spoke, I watched as she stopped brushing her hair, got up off the bed and walked towards the door. Since it was darker in that corner, and the room door and bathroom were both in that direction, I waited to hear one of them open or to see the bathroom light turn on, thinking she was probably just going to pee. After a few seconds, I sat up confused, and just then my friend Mary rolled over in the bed next to me, fast asleep. My eyes widened and my pulse began to race. I didn't want to close my eyes in case whoever it really was came back. I turned the bedside light on and stayed in my bed, covers up to my eyes for the rest of the night. We had to stay in that hotel for a few more days and I barely slept. The advisors eventually noticed how tired I was but didn't know what to do when I told them what I'd seen. I've tried to rationalise it. Maybe I was still dreaming and I imagined her since I had just seen Mary doing the same thing. But I wasn't asleep. I know my eyes were open and I remember talking to her. And how would I have imagined all those details? Like the silver brush and the ruffly sleeves. Maybe my friend brushing her hair had evoked some memory in her in the room. I wish I knew but I never saw her again. Looking back I wish I was braver and had got up to see where she went. I didn't feel scared at all while she was there, but my realisation in seeing something I couldn't reasonably explain paralysed me with fear. I hope if anyone else sees her, they might find out who she is, and why she's still there. I have some things to say about Katie's story. First of all, what the heck is going on? Why is there a ghostly lady brushing her hair at three or four in the morning. Who is she? What's she doing there? Why did she appear in a hotel in Greece? I must say, like, I don't have waist-length hair and I never have had waist-length hair. And what might come as a shock to a lot of you, Dan, also doesn't have waist-length hair. (laughs) But I think I'd be quite annoyed if in the afterlife, my repeated action or my haunting was to be brushing my waist-length hair all the time. Because I presume that it's quite quite a task to have to brush your hair when it's that long probably quite an annoying task too so i feel sorry for this ghost i feel sad for them i mean if this ghost started brushing her hair as katie went to sleep and is still brushing it at three or four in the morning that is a task and a half Mm. but i wonder actually whether the other thing i wanted to say was i wonder if actually katie's theory that she sort of comes to at the end has some relevance in that it was the action of a roommate brushing her hair that reinvigorated some energy in the room of a previous occupant. Isn't there that ghost hunting show where they try and lure a ghost into a room with that's full of what they call trigger ob- objects? Remember that one where they, they oh, literally yeah. dug a grave? Yeah, I've no idea. I can't remember which one it was, but that was strange. Yeah, yeah. they did. And it's almost like Scooby-Doo where they have a room full, like, like they try and reenact a scene in a room and trap the ghost in their very strange behaviour. But... 
that was my roundabout way of saying I actually agree with you. So, you know, who knows? Maybe the action of her like triggered some sort of time slippage. Who knows? I need to stop saying time slippage. That needs to It's go. definitely not a time slip situation no, either. But what I mean is it like reverberates through time to a period when that actually happened and I do need to stop saying time slippage and that we need to have some sort of Pavlov's conditioning where you like zap me every time I say time slippage because it's not a nice <laughs> phrase I don't want to do that though <laughs> and story number two comes from Susan due to lockdown within the states I had to get away from the monotonous go to work eat sleep repeat so my husband and I left heading for the mountains and raw wood for a weekend of camping away from it all to unwind. While we were out in the wilderness, all set up within the first night, lounging and sipping a few cold drinks with the fire before us, we weren't thinking about anything paranormal. As my husband is far from one who chatters about such things, even though he believes some of the things that may go bump in the night. There was no feeling of paranormal either that night, It was clear, crisp and pleasant. Granted, we were drinking so that could ease any real feel you may have gotten in the first place. There is a reason why I mention that we were nowhere near such thoughts. I, drunkenly admiring the fire, snapped a picture of the fire with my busted camera phone, so it's a blurred mess. What I did not notice was the body standing beside the fire until after the weekend had slid past and I went back over my crummy attempts of pictures on this old phone of mine. There was no one else but my husband and I. We were sitting side by side by the fire, not across from each other. You can even see my feet at the bottom of the image. But that wasn't the creepiest bit. We thought nothing of that photo, And into the second day, we hung about, wandered a few of the deer trails, generally enjoying being outside and away from the population. As the evening began to sink in, the clouds had rolled in with a thick falling of rain, chasing us beneath our hung-up blue sky, dousing the fire to struggling embers. Still dry and somewhat amused by the sudden rainfall, we remained sitting and chatting about nothing really into the darkness of the night. My husband was the first to hear it. I caught on after he hushed us both. It sounded like something large was moving through the forest just outside the light of our lamp. The only light source as our fire had been drowned. Thinking it was a black bear as they are common in these woods, we began banging our pots and pans together to chase it away. There was an odd clicking noise and we felt the weight of this creature collide along the ground as it raced through our camp just barely within the light. Long limbs, multiple eyes glinting in the lamp's glow, and an ashen hide. Needless to say, we locked our asses in the car and remained there until dawn before packing and beelining it back home. I haven't dreamed or thought of him much lately, but let's just say that Freddy is once more fresh on my mind. And for some odd reason, in the woods where we were camping. But hey, at least now my husband fully believes me. Freddy's back. 
Back again. <laughs> so I've just shown down the picture. It will be posted on social media. So if you want to see it, it'll be on our Instagram, on our Facebook page and in our Facebook group and probably on Twitter as well, actually. Uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on this picture? What are you looking at? What are you seeing? I have to say that I am flabbergasted by this picture because when I was listening to season's story i was like oh okay you know like it's a i was expecting to see like a black shadow body or something i mean there's just a dude in this picture like it does look like like you can see the definite outline of an arm and a leg and a torso like very weird because when i first because you know when you get an email and you get like a preview of a picture i also thought it was just like a shadowy thing but when i fully downloaded the picture and looked at it it's really not no, and I think some people might suggest that it's the way that a shadow has fallen on the the trunk of a tree, maybe. But I think that anybody that is experienced in the woodland would not build a fire that close to a tree anyway, so I don't think that's the case. That's a really good point. See, the likes of me would not even consider that. I'd be like, it's definitely a tree, move on. And then somebody would be like, no, because it would set it on fire. That's a very good point. So obviously, like I said, I'm going to post this on all of our social media so that you can see it and make up your own mind about what you think it is. But what are your thoughts on Frederick being back? Well, you know how I feel about Freddy, really. You're quite, you're you're quite like calm about Freddy. You know, you you think you see him as like a guardian, creepy creature. I think I need to clarify a little bit that I am calm on the behalf of Susan and her immediate family. Because so you're not you're calm because you're not experiencing <laughs> Freddy. No, mainly because I feel like he's protecting them. I would worry for my own safety if I was happen to bump into him because he's not my protection. He's not my protector, rather. I, I feel quite happy for Susan, though, that her husband got to experience it. And I say got to experience it like it's a great joy to experience Freddie. But I feel I feel like she must feel really validated. She must be like, oh, finally, yeah. you've experienced what I've been experiencing for years. And it, I just like what if, what if it is a case that your guardian angels like sometimes they're not what you imagine a guardian angel would look like. Yeah, I think he's just knocking around looking after him, really, to be honest. I definitely wouldn't want to encounter him. Definitely wouldn't want to encounter him. No, I mean, I've said this a million times. You all are like, think Freddy's lovely. I'm not down for it. I don't need Freddy skittering around my kitchen in the middle of the night. If he's in your kitchen, he's not there to protect you because you've never seen him before. That's a very good point. I don't know. I'm not. I'm still coming for you. (laughs) (laughs) See, that that makes it worse. Here's Freddy. And story number three comes from Bianca. I heard about the Hatman spirit in an episode and remembered about my husband's encounter with the Hatman. Prior to this incident, he was a non-believer, and to this day, he doesn't like talking about what happened. We were a month into our new home that was built in 1912. I'm sensitive to spirits. And right away I had to sage and call a professional practitioner to do a cleansing because of the spooky vibe in the house. I immediately felt the presence of an old woman and a creepy bearded man who would leer at us. The practitioner, without prompt, confirmed these spirits as well. Anyway, one night my husband and I were asleep, with our two-year-old son next to our bed in his toddler bed. I was awoken by my husband shooting up in bed, screaming his lungs out, and frantically switching on the lights. 
I woke up, scared out of my mind, and kept asking him, What's wrong? What's wrong? His face was pale, white as a sheet, as he stared at a spot above our sleeping son, who somehow stayed asleep through all of this. My husband's eyes were huge with fear and I watched his face as his eyes followed an invisible something from the toddler bed across the bedroom and onto the far wall. I had to shake him to get him to snap out of it and tell me what was going on. He stammered out his story. He woke up because he sensed a presence in the room and as he looked over to our son's bed he saw a shadow man, completely black, peering over our son as if examining him. That was when my husband jolted up and screamed. As he screamed, the shadow man lifted one hand to his lips and shushed him so as not to wake the baby. Then it got up and tiptoed dramatically like a Looney Tunes character and vanished into the wall. At that point, my husband saw it was wearing a top hat and coattails with dramatically long arms and legs. I didn't see a thing. Obviously we were scared out of our minds, especially since it seemed to be interested in our baby. I immediately contacted my spiritual friend, who told me this entity is actually a common one that people see. It lives in another dimension and is very curious about our world. She also said I had no reason to fear but I should ask God to close whatever portal or thinness in the veil that separates us. I did, just as she asked, and we have had no more experiences with this particular entity. I'm going to start. No, you're not allowed to. I want to start. I want to start. (laughs) I need to say that I got goosebumps when the story described... The tiptoe. The (laughs) tiptoe. Yeah, I can't deal with that at all. I read it and I was like... I'm sorry, that's the most disturbing image I have had in my head for a very long time. What the heck? It's like that smiling man, isn't it? The way he moves. Yes, it is like that. But it also implies a level of, like, comedy that I was not expecting from shadow people and hat men. Is it not like mocking malice? That's what I thought it was. Oh, maybe maybe it is. Because he does the whole shush thing, doesn't he? When clearly it's too late because he's... Oh, it's actually giving me full... Yeah. It's making my I body react is, uh, violently. This is nasty hat man. No, we don't it? like this level mm. of hat man. Nope. It, it, it is reminding me of some like character in a movie or in a storybook, but I don't know what it is. But it's, it filled me full of absolute dread. Yeah, when not, I, I, the yeah. description was not good. Not like I mean, it was an excellent description, but it, what it inspired in me was not good. I don't know what I would do. Like I, I, feel, I feel really traumatized for him. Well, I feel like screaming is probably a good good option to begin with. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good start. <laughs> screaming is a good place to start. And then we'd, we'd take steps after yeah. that, see how we were feeling. Have a bit of a scream. How are we feeling now? What's the... Run quickly. Yep, down yep. with that. Good, yep. let's go. Yep. And it, it, it's it's interesting that the um, practitioner came in and said, yes, I can feel the same presences as you. And that there this is an entity that lives just beyond the veil and is really curious about our world. Well, stop being curious. Okay, go tiptoe somewhere else. Yes, particularly when you're doing that. You don't do that. That's not fair. That's not nice. It's not a nice thing to do for people. And I don't like the alarming number of ghosts and entities and shadow creatures that spend their time peering into cribs at babies. Those poor babies. Yeah, but some we've had some stories where it's been quite nice. 
yes, we have had some stories where it's been quite nice and other stories where it's not been very nice. But it I guess must be traumatising. If the baby's okay. If the baby's asleep, you know, none the wiser, is it? Yeah, that's true. That's true. If it's waking babies up, then we've got a different problem. Nobody needs that in the middle of the night. <laughs> no, I would be. I wouldn't even be freaked out by being an entity. I'd be like, "Do you know how little sleep I get on a nightly basis? And you think this is okay? <laughs> Just no. I'm not. I'm not happy with it at all." And story number four comes from Nathan. I used to live in a town in Iowa called Redfield. My house was old and had several doors on the first floor. One night, I was home with a friend watching television and listening to music. We had finished watching TV and kept listening to music, but not very loud. It was around 11 or so. We were talking about weird things happening in our houses. We had gotten a strange feeling as we heard footsteps up my stairs. You could always tell when someone walked up the stairs because you can hear the creaking. I walked to the stairs, expecting to see my mom, but no one was there. I shrugged it off and went back to talking. I sat back on the couch with my friend and he turned and asked me what it was. I didn't know what he was talking about. And at that moment I heard a loud noise like something really heavy being dropped on the upstairs floor. It was directly above us, so I knew it was my room. My stomach sank. We slowly got up and walked to the stairs in the kitchen. Both of us reluctantly agreed to walk up the stairs together. Slowly creeping, we could hear something rolling on the floor. As we crested the top of the stairs, we could see my 45-pound rubber band ball rolling in circles and in odd angles. We just stared at it. It felt like an eternity, but it was only a few minutes. I got scared, because I knew that it was in a toy box under toys, and I hadn't opened that box in about a year. After I saw it stop like someone put weight on it, I ran downstairs in two steps with my friend close behind me. We left the house and didn't go back in for three hours. I told my mom about this incident, and she wasn't sure if I was telling the truth, but the next night it happened again. And she believed me after that. First of all, Nathan, kudos on your 45 pound rubber bamboo. I don't know how big that is. Huge. Oh, is it? Yeah. I have no concept of space, distance, weight, nothing. I can't, I can't picture anything. 45 bags of sugar. Yeah, there you go. Oh, I wonder. I wonder if I misread that. I wonder was it four point five? Maybe it was four point five pounds because that is mm, huge. I feel a bit like I misread that. <laughs> Either way, it's still impressive because those things. I apologise if I misread that, and it's actually I've actually magnified it massively in the story. Sorry. Either way, I've made plenty of um. I was going to say elastic bands rather than balls, and they get to a point where it becomes extremely difficult to get them much bigger without losing layers where they snap oh yeah that makes sense so, so either way pounds seems... yeah but even four and a half pounds is four and a half pounds is very big but 45 big. seems excessive now now that you mentioned it the sugar's not a pound though it's a kilogram it's bigger so maybe you're all right no you do say a pound of sugar don't you oh well either way this is <laughs> this is irrelevant to the yeah. story the other thing is the well it's not the other thing the main thing is that it was in a box and then it got out of that box 
and then it was moving in a really weird way. Maybe Nathan made it so big that it became sentient. Oh my gosh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that's kind of scary actually as well. Yeah, that is quite alarming. Because be, it that means it was just like rolling around to try and fill out its environment. It's like that 50B movie club film, Rubber. <laughs> that hasn't come out yet, has it? Oh, I don't know if it's come out yet, <laughs> but it's about a, a tire that becomes sentient and goes around and kills people. Yes. So maybe that's what this was. Nathan, you've had a lucky escape, kiddo. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, that, I think... You know, we've all seen like footballs or baseballs or tennis balls like move on their own. It doesn't, yeah. you know, physics suggests that it doesn't take a lot to get that to happen quite often. It can be things that we, we can't comprehend like the, you know, the gradient of the floor and the breeze and various different things like that. But when it's rolling in a very systematic way. Yeah. Yeah, that's alarming. And also when it's there, when it should be in a box as well, that that's probably beyond physics just, I think. Also alarming. <laughs> I wouldn't be um, I wouldn't be a fan of that now, I have to say. And I, you know, it, it I, I'm kind of glad as well, again, that your mum got to see it. Because it must be really frustrating if you have an experience like that and everyone's like, oh, that's probably not true though, mm. is it? And then they get, to, they, they physically see it and you go, ha, I was, I was telling, telling the truth all along. I feel like this has got the, um, signs of a child ghost and that's oh that kind of playful energy where i don't want to be yeah true true i don't want to think about that no and story number five comes from dorothy this story begins before i was born and i'm probably one of your oldest listeners i say this for a reference to time it was approximately the early 1920s it is a story passed down from my grandmother to her family and was told to me by my mother. So needless to say it came from a dependable and trustworthy source. And it is only one of many frightening experiences that my grandmother had in this house in the backwoods of Maine. It is also the one that freaks me out the most. My grandmother came from Calabria in Italy with my grandfather and the first two of their children. They had 12 children including a set of twins. She wasn't formally educated and spoke little English. But the local women, mostly immigrants themselves, got to know her as a gentle and soft-spoken woman, a herbal healer, a midwife and a confidant. She was also known to be a sensitive. I say this because I do believe some of the story is partly the house and partly my grandmother, as she was the only person living there that seemed to engage with the spirits. The house itself was old, and had housed several families before my grandparents. It was a logging and milling town with many transient workers. The house was located on a long, unlit dirt road, with other houses spaced considerably apart, one of which housed my grandparents' eldest daughter with a young family of her own. It was extremely hot this summer night. Most of the house was asleep. But the baby woke up crying and my grandmother scooped her up and brought her downstairs to nurse, where it was a bit cooler and had a breeze coming through the windows, along with a band of moonlight just bright enough to be ambient. She sat in the corner of the room in a rocking chair that had a habit of getting stuck with the backward rocking motion. When it did, she would have to nudge her body forward to get it to move again. She'd been meaning to have her son check the rocker blades, but would forget. She nursed, whispered a soft lullaby, 
and fought with the chair each time it snagged. She was just about done and smiling at the cooing baby when the chair snagged again. This time, when she jerked to pull it forward, it did not react. She let out a chain of profanity in Italian as she forced her body movement forward. But instead of the chair moving forward, it slowly began to continue backwards, as if somebody were pulling it from behind. Back and back it went. So far in the back position that when she looked up, she saw a blacker than black smoky shadow in human form. Its head began to lean towards her face, almost touching. She lunged her body forward and out of the chair. She ran with the baby in her arms out of the house and up the street towards her daughter's house. As she ran barefoot on the moonlit dirt road, she could feel stones and pebbles hitting her neck, her back and her legs as they were hurled towards her and beyond her even though no one was there. My grandfather was not a nice man. He made his own wine and drank too much. He was abusive in a number of ways. He was lazy and would force my grandmother to go down into the cellar of the house to fetch bottles of wine. She would have to light a candle to carry down the creaky wooden spider-webbed stairs to the dirt floor. As she would descend, she would hear a breathing sound. (sighs) And the candle would go out. Sometimes she would have to relight it more than once before reaching the bottom. And as she walked across the ground, she would hear the sounds of babies crying. Speculation and hearsay among the family about the crying babies is that perhaps when assisting in a miscarriage or a birth gone wrong, the babies may have been buried in the cellar. Another interesting fact about the house is that it was struck by lightning, caught fire and burned to the ground taking one of the children with it. While reliving these stories and others I have not told, I am remembering my mother. She would tell me while I was growing up in Boston just how much I reminded her of her mother. That I would have gotten along well with her. That we were a lot alike. That we had the same laugh. That we also had the same temperament. In fact, the name she chose for my confirmation was her mother's. Also, I am sensitive and empathic. And I have been successfully using these influences to guide my practice of Reiki and polarity. I'm saddened that I did not have any personal time with my grandmother. I would have loved being with her in person to teach me her ways and guide me. She is, however, definitely there in spirit. Because you see, she died the day I was born. This generational ghost story from Dorothy is amazing. I must say it was it was a lovely story to read as well. I mean, it's not like the actual situation is very dark and terrifying. <laughs> But the fact that it's been passed down from generation to generation from Calabria, sorry for butchering the pronunciation there, to um, elsewhere in the world is just incredible. Um, Because I think so often it's like family anecdotes about what, you know, what family members did or, but this is like a ghost, this is like a proper ghost story. I also love these women who had kind of no formal education, but like in the community were healers, were midwives, were like um, spiritual like uh, confidants that was really common to have people who women in the community who did all those things and I love hearing stories about those women because they just had a knowledge of midwifery from experience and they had a knowledge of herbals herbal life and healing from experience too and I just love it I think it's very cool also very frightening for 
for that woman. So not not so cool for her, but cool for me to read about now as as an adult. It's one of those stories that we read where it goes from frustration to terrifying nature very quickly. Because it must be quite frustrating if you're rocking and then your rocking chair keeps catching. So you're obviously building up frustration. But yeah. then to have it stick. And lean back until... And then until... slowly go back until you can see what's pulling you back. I'd be running out as well. Oh, I would, yeah. I Ooh. would be. I think, I, I think you'd swing punches though before you, before you do anything gone. else. But then imagine it throwing stones after her down the street. Well, I wonder if... Um, People like her who are sensitive to spirits and stuff, if these entities or whatever they are, are are kind of desperate to communicate with them because they're like, I know you can see me. Mm. I know that you know I'm here and I'm sick of all these people who don't know I'm here, but I know you can. So I'm going to do everything I can to get attention from you, whether that's violent or terrifying. I don't really care. I'm still going to do it. And again, grateful that I'm not one of those people. I know. I don't know what I'd think you would have died already if you were sensitive <laughs> because you would have just had a heart attack You yeah. just or, or just laid down and been like, take me now because yep. I can't do this anymore. Yep. And story number six comes from Kirsten. I recently moved from Reno, Nevada to California and doing so seemed to put a stop to all my weird happenings. I had several experiences while living in Reno that I simply could not explain away. The first was when my now husband moved in with me. We moved into a two-storey townhouse that was built in the late 1970s, and I couldn't have been more excited. A few weeks passed, and we had finally finished unpacking. I'd been having strange feelings of being watched and things going missing, only to find them in a spot I swore I'd already searched. It had started to bug me, so naturally I decided to sage the apartment. It was a new place to both of us, so it seemed like the right thing to do. I walked around the entire place, upstairs and down, whisking the sage smoke in every dark corner and every spot that had made me feel uncomfortable. I then walked down the stairs and set the sage in an ashtray to finish burning while I went upstairs to shower. My husband was sitting on the sofa watching TV, and the ashtray was on the TV stand next to it. According to my husband, about five minutes after I went upstairs to shower, the ashtray suddenly exploded, sending burning sage embers all around the room. If he hadn't been there, those embers could have started a fire, and almost did, according to him. Aside from the random feeling of dread, or being watched, the rest of our time in that townhouse seemed relatively uneventful as far as ghostly happenings go. A year later, we moved to a new apartment across town. It was much nicer, and even came with a fireplace, so we were absolutely ecstatic to move in. A few weeks passed without anything strange or out of the ordinary happening. Every once in a while, I would misplace something and would search around the apartment only to find it in the place that I had looked. I figured I was just being careless and I wasn't looking hard enough. Then I started hearing noises when I was home alone. Things that sounded like items dropping to the floor in another room or a cabinet opening when no one was near it. I tried to ignore them as much as possible. I've heard acknowledging these things can make them worse. One weekend my husband and his pals all went camping and I was left home alone for three days straight. And that was when it got really weird. The first day I was home alone, it was a Friday, and I had to work from 8am to 5pm. And when I got home, it was already dark outside. 
Work had been really stressing me out lately and I was starting to doubt whether or not this job was worth all the trouble. I started brainstorming other jobs out loud to myself and kept saying, Ugh, I just wish I knew what to do instead. Why can't something just give me a sign where to go? What should I really be doing for a career? About an hour or so later, I was walking around the apartment watering my plants, still deeply pondering what type of job I'd rather have. Then the strangest thing happened. I heard a voice, clear as day, in my head say, You should teach people about plants. Now, I know the difference between the normal voices you hear in your head and an outside voice. This voice was female, but sounded nothing like me. I immediately stopped what I was doing and looked around the room, as if I was searching for a source. But no one was there but me. On the second day, I got a little tipsy watching some rom-coms with a friend and decided it would be funny to show off the weird stuff that sometimes happens. So I said very loudly, If there's any spirit or presence here, please show us, give us a sign. We giggled, thinking it was silly to even ask such a thing. And then my keys, which were on a hook next to the door, plopped onto the floor. This is not something that can easily happen without someone actually lifting them off the hook. We both stared at the keys on the floor in silence. She left not too long after that. And to be honest, I wish she would have stayed. Day three was filled with running errands, and I wasn't home for very long. After I went to bed that night, I had a dream of being in my apartment and walking around. The only thing I found odd was that in my dream, our apartment was completely empty. There was no furniture and no decorations. It was like I was just there living in an empty apartment. This dream kept repeating itself for weeks after that night. Each time would always end the same. I'd be walking around like normal in the empty place, and then all of a sudden one of the rooms would become impossibly dark, like the rest of the apartment was covered in bright sunlight except for one room. As I would approach this dark room, the door would slam in my face right before I could enter. Things continued to happen until we moved out and down to California. I would feel someone's weight on the end of the bed even though no one was there. I heard whispers at night when my husband was asleep. My stuff was never where I left it, and would only reappear once I asked for whoever moved it to put it back. I always felt like there was someone else there with me. I think the creepiest was all was the things my husband started to say in his sleep. He would say, no, I don't want to. And he would laugh in a very creepy little giggling way. Half the time he would wake me up by putting his hand literally on my face and start talking in gibberish. The worst part was he couldn't remember any of it. It started to creep me out so much that I started sandwiching my head between two pillows each night just to block out the noises. Okay, I need to start by saying, now obviously, sleep talking, amping up and changing over a period of time is clearly not normal. But some of the things that the husband said to Kirsten... You have definitely said to me in your sleep. Absolute lies. It's not. Can you prove it? No. No, you One day I will and I'll release it as an episode and it'll just be your sleep talking. (laughs) 
I don't think I'd even be embarrassed because I just find the whole thing to be libelous, to be frank. <laughs> you don't do a lot, but when you do do things, it's always creepy things like that. So it's always like... Giggling. No, I don't want to. Or some weird laugh that you don't do when you're awake. Like, <laughs> it's always little odd things. You don't do it a lot, but when you do do it, you freak the heck out of me. So I, I can relate to Kirsten from this story. Can I just say that you have also been known to sleep talk too? I sleep so. talk all the time. Uh, I probably sleep talk more than you, but you'll never awake to hear it. That's the issue. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should get one of those sleep apps that record any noises at night time. Oh, no, then that's no, how we'd find out we no, were haunted. We're not doing that. I did it once and it recorded things that I didn't want to hear. So, good. I'm going to do it. I'm just to let all the listeners no. know I'm going to do it. No. Um, the exploding ashtray is dangerous. Yeah, very dangerous. Not more evidence that. about ghosts starting fires. Yeah. I mean... Or attempting to start fires. Yeah, not directly. Thank goodness the husband-to-be was there. Yeah, and was able to put out all the embers. Yeah. Because a lot of those incense burning things, and I presume sage too, that the embers do burn for quite some time. So yeah. you could definitely burn so, a house down with that. So do cigarette embers as well, don't they? So, huh? So do cigarette embers, right? Yeah. So that's it's easy to see how that could have started a fire. So thank goodness he was there. And he didn't get hurt as well, because I'd imagine an exploding ashtray would probably... Yeah create some shrapnel probably yeah which you don't want in the eye or the face or the body um also the voice like i think you know your own voice even if it's no, an idea that, even if it's an idea that comes out of the blue and you'd you, be like oh yeah but you you live with your constant internal monologue yeah. anyway and, and like so many of your thoughts are just random abstract things you know if a clear-cut voice is going to cut through and say you should teach people about plants my thoughts are never that clear. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> I sometimes wonder what language my thoughts are in, to be honest, but there we go. <laughs> yeah, thoughts are weird. I, don't, I can't even think about thinking for too long because it gives me like an existential crisis and I start getting really panicky about who I am and, and how I am and it freaks me out. So we're not, we can't dwell on that point because I'll just, the, the rest of this podcast will just be me sobbing. That's all. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find out everything you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.